0: wanders or something um but uh, my oldest daughter uh it is hard for a baptist to use these words but this is the truth uh, she's preaching today at uh at, at the church that uh, they they were pastor uh, her husband was pastor at it's it's women's day and many times churches have women's day they have a women women speaker woman speaker and uh, so they asked savannah to come back and speak and uh, uh last night uh we were going back over what she's going to talk about uh, out of Hebrews about the word hope. And uh, these songs today kind of uh, played into uh, what we saw, and it also plays into this sermon today uh, and, and her text. And, and uh, so I, I mentioned that to ask you to pray, but also uh, as you're opening your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, as we still look at the church on the move, we see... Peter uh, was available for use, okay? Uh, and we're in Acts chapter 9, verse 32 to 43. And uh, in fact, I'm, I'm going to, uh, we're going to just read this first, and then, I'll, then I'll, uh, I'll make comments afterwards. So I know you just sat down, and uh, if you stand up now and sit back down, it's going to be, I'm not on. Y'all can stand up. What's the matter? I'm on mute. Sorry. Oh, I was turning the button the wrong way. See, it was my fault. I tell you, I give these guys, poor guys, grief. Thank you for helping me. Um, Y'all thought this just happened by magic, right? It's actually a button. Um, Anyway, uh, Acts chapter (laughs) 9. Sorry, that was a bad reference. Uh, Beginning in uh, verse 32. And now as Peter went here and there among them all... He came down also to the saints who live at Lydda or Lydda, and there he found a man named Aena, a, a, I can't even say his name, Ananias. Thank you. I couldn't get it out. Bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed, and Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. And she was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the windows stood with one Simon, a tanner. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we, just, we thank you. Lord, we thank you uh, that you are such an awesome God. We thank you that you uh, do things that we don't expect, things that we could not do. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for all that you're going to do today. And we ask that, indeed, Lord, you would be glorified, that you would speak to each heart and to all of our hearts. And Lord, that today we would know your will and then we would have the courage to obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all can sit down. You know, the statement I want you to take uh, home with you today is that God uses availability, not ability. Because none of us are able. That's the first thing you've got to realize. If you want to be used of God, the first thing you've got to realize is you can't do it. You know, a lot of times I have people say that, oh, well, I would like to, but I just can't. And I go, yeah, I know, that's what qualifies you to do it. Uh, if, if you thought you could do it, then we would have trouble. And so availability is really the key more than ability because it is only God who is able. You following that? And, and, and I'll give you the illustration without uh, going into it. The feeding of the 5,000 is an illustration of that. He asked them to do something they couldn't do, and then he did it in the power of God using them as vessels to distribute. And that's what God does for us. He asks us to, to speak to souls who are lost and going to hell and see them re, killed and reborn into a brand new life in the same skin to go to heaven. He equips them for heaven. We can't do that. But God uses us to get that message out, and God does it in them. Right? And that is, by the way, the greatest miracle. I want to come back to that. That's one of the things I was mentioning that we were just singing about and, 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 and everything. And listen, I was only, I was only eight, uh, seven years old, eight years old, I'm sorry, eight years old when God called me into the ministry. Now, that's crazy to me that God would call an eight-year-old boy. But my question for you this morning is, when God called me, was I able? Well, no, absolutely not. I mean, and, and here's the problem. I've gotten less able as I got older. And I've gotten more education. I've got more experience. But I'm even less able. I've got new challenges. I'm aware now of how unable I am. When you're 8, you think you can do anything, right? Everything's possible. Superman can fly when you're 8 years old, right? But when you're 58 or 59, as I am now, I was trying to cheat myself a year here, uh, you you become you begin to realize that maybe you can't do what you thought you could do. But but here's the the point: God doesn't call the able; He enables the called. And God doesn't seek those who are able; He seeks those who are available um, in 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 His work. Well, God called me, and I had this idea of what God would do with my life. You know, I wanted to be Billy Graham. I was eight years old. Billy Graham's still on TV. I'm watching him. You know, on a black and white TV set back then, because uh, we couldn't afford a color TV yet. And, and, and I think color existed by that year, but, but we didn't have it. Uh, I remember when they said, Daniel Boone next week will be in color, the TV show. Anybody ever watch Daniel Boone on TV? Yeah, me too. And, and I was so excited, and my mom had to break the news to me. son. that's only for people who have color TVs that can receive it. If you want to see it in color, you got to go to your Uncle Joe's house. He's got a color TV. Ours is still going to look black and white. Well, anyway, so, so I had this idea, you know, I'm going to be Billy Graham, I'm going to be an evangelist, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to preach, thousands will get saved, and I have never been an evangelist. Now, in a sense of the word, you could say, oh, so you were disappointed, but we can use that word. I wasn't disappointed, like, oh, God didn't do that to me. But, but in a sense, your hopes and dreams when you're a kid in all of our lives are, are a little bit disappointed. I mean, Probably you had some dreams when you were younger. Maybe not when you were seven or eight. But but maybe when you were a teenager or in college or even later in life, you had some dream and you went for it and it didn't quite work out. Well, imagine being Peter. You've got the Lord Jesus himself leaning at you going, you're the rock, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. Now, I don't know what went through Peter's mind. I don't know what Peter thought once he fully realized that after he failed and Jesus restored him at the seashore. There's a lot of cool things in Peter's life. Man, we could do a sermon series just on the life of Peter. It would be a worthy study. But, but let's just suppose for a moment Peter had some ideas that didn't quite work out. Like he thought, oh yeah, this is going to be great. Jesus has put me in charge. I get to inherit or secede uh, Jesus. I'm going to be the, the guy that, that does that. I got a feeling that Peter was disappointed if that's how he was thinking. Because he gets arrested, he gets thrown in prison. And I don't think he actually held on to that. I don't think he, he had any pride or false pride about that. I think he understood. I, I really do. But he was still a human, and certain thoughts had to have gone through his mind. I remember when I was a kid, I had this cousin who didn't know Christ. But he illustrated what I'm kind of driving at. But it is the truth of what Jesus taught us. And, uh, and this, like I said, this guy wasn't even saved. He, uh, he, he, he graduated Clemson, electrical engineering degree. Um, joined the Marines, was in the Marines, went to Vietnam. Uh, was there, did electrical whatever there came back home, started working for the power company in South Carolina, and did that for a while, and then started his own electrical engineering business. And one day he was talking to me, and he, and he said, yeah, he said, in life you start out digging a ditch, and you got a boss telling you what to do. And you rise in that company, and you become like the boss of that team, and then you become a boss of the teams, and then you, then you get a position in an office, and, and you get way up there, but you, you're not the owner, so you start your own business, so you're going to be the guy in the head office. And he said, and you're back in the ditch digging. That's what it means to be the boss. And it, that, I, I learned that from him then. I've experienced it since, but I learned that. But is not that what Jesus said? If you want to be first, you've got to be last. He knelt and washed the disciples' feet. In God's economy, if you want to be the big shot, you've got to be the lowest servant. And, and once you understand that then all that false pride goes away. And in fact, in what we see in Peter's life, I don't think he had any false pride at all because we see Peter in this passage today doing it exactly right. And I want to point that out to you, uh, what Peter does. And so if you've had some disappointments in your life, hang in there and and, and look at how Peter did what he did and understand that God's using you where he has you if you're available to him to, to let him do that. First of all, God uses Peter to heal heal Aeneas from paralysis. You know, when when everybody's reading Scripture in a room and some people don't want to read, it's because you come on words like that you can't say. So if you just say Jerusalem or watermelon, keep going, it'll be fine. But uh, sometimes those words are hard for us to say. So anyway, just letting you know. If I'd have just said it with confidence, you'd have gone, oh, that's how you say that. You would never have known differently, but... I don't mind admitting sometimes I I stumble too. But anyway, God uses Peter to heal this guy. And notice what's going on here. In verse 32, we see Peter's kind of outside of his sphere. Peter went here and there among them all. Did you notice that? The guy that Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And we've seen Peter already open the door to the Jews in Acts 2. Open the door to Samaritans in Acts 8. And in the very next chapter, at the very beginning, he's going to open the door to Gentiles. And this is God kind of letting us know how he's warming Peter up to that. What's going on here is God is warming Peter up to, to doing exactly that. But Peter is outside of his sphere. You would think the guy that God is using to establish the church, the very first time he's going to be kind of the engineer of it all, would be sitting in his office in Jerusalem. Isn't that what we think a boss does that's in his office? And plans and tells everybody else what to do. But what we find here is... Peter is following Jesus' example, and he's walking here and there with the people. Let me just tell you something. You're never going to win the world to Christ sitting in these pews. You just won't. I know a guy, he goes in places that you guys might not want to even be seen in. And in those places, he hears people having conversations about the reality of who God is. Did you know that? Lost men are wondering, who is God? Does he exist? How do we know who the real God is? Is God paying attention? You'll never get involved in those people's lives sitting in these pews. We've got to get out where they are. And, and you know, again, I'm preaching myself, letting you listen in. Peter was going here and there among them all. And it came down to the saints who lived in Lydda or Lydda. I, I did not realize this, but as I was studying this, I found something else. That place is where our plane touched down when we went to visit our kids in Israel. Lydda is now covered by the Ben-Gairun, or however you say that, airport in Tel Aviv. And just outside of Tel Aviv is Joppa. And Lydda is where they built the airport. So if you ever go fly to Israel, you're landing where this miracle happened, Okay. So Peter is, is there, and if you look on a map, you can see Jerusalem and over to Tel Aviv, and you'll, you'll kind of get the idea of how far out Peter has gone. It's getting close to the coast. It's right there on the Med. In fact, they do TV commercials now, Jerusalem, Tel Aviv. They, they want you to come and, and visit there. So anyway, he goes and and he comes down to all the saints who were living there, because they got dispersed out of Jerusalem, so some settled in there, and he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Now, the Bible tells us how he got paralyzed. For eight years, he's been paralyzed, where it was an accident, he was attacked, you know, just some kind of deterioration of bone and, you know, arthritis, whatever, it, we don't know, but it's kind of irrelevant, but... Peter is faced with a need, and he is available to meet the need. He's in the place of need. That's what I was saying. If we sit in the pews, we'll never be where people need us. It is when we go in fact, when we see the Great Commission, where it says, "Go into all the world," it, that is a call for us to intentionally go, but it, in, in the original language, it actually is saying, "As you are going." Because every day you go, every day you go to work, you go here and there, you meet people. What you need to be is available to God where you are going for him to use you. But so many times we are in a hurry. I've got to go here, I've got to go there, I've got this appointment, whatever. And we don't walk the gate of the Galilean where we, we walk with Christ and just minister to people where they are. Peter is available for that. But we also see Peter had a right perspective. Look, look what happens. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. Now, to coin a phrase, that's mighty bold talk, isn't it? Why would Peter say that? He would say that because he was walking with the Lord and he knew that's what the Lord wanted. Holy Spirit speaking to Peter, telling him to say it, and Peter says it. Now, the Bible doesn't make it real clear about that, but I'm going to point this out to you. And immediately he rose. Peter is following the will of God, and here's how it concludes. All the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Well, why didn't they turn to Peter and ask him to start a Peter the Fisherman Healing Ministry? That's what I want to ask some of these guys on TV, faith healers. You notice they only do that in a controlled environment of their crusades. don't well, they just go down to the hospital, walk down the hall, waving their coat and watching everybody get slain in the spirit and healed, and walk out of the hospital. Because they don't have the power to do that. Only God has the power to heal. Now, I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying God can't heal. I have seen God physically heal people. Apart from doctors and their abilities. Sometimes He uses doctors. None's. You know, like in my case, God uses doctors to help me manage the thorn in my flesh. And that's fine. God, God's okay with that. But I'm just telling you here, notice what Peter says. Sorry. You know what? I had this fixed, so it wasn't going to do that, and now it's doing it anyway. I'm, I'm, the only way I can take care of this is turn it off. And I'm going to do that right now. Go away. Use. All right. Throw that away. This happened last week. I don't, I was determined that wasn't going to happen today, and it happened. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Um, it took me totally out of it. Notice what Peter says. Jesus Christ heals you. Peter didn't say, I bring you healing in the name of Jesus. He says, Jesus Christ heals you. And here's how I know Peter's whole attitude and approach was correct. All the residents... Of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Now, this is like a suburb of Joppa. So, Joppa is a small town. This is an even smaller town. But notice how many got saved all the residents. Now, the Bible's not speaking hyperbole here. As it said, that all the people in Asia Minor heard the gospel because of Paul, that means everybody at least heard about Jesus. Didn't say all of them got saved, said all of them heard about it. Here it says all the people in these two little towns got saved. And and you know, these are small villages. That, some of them are still relatively small. In fact, you can imagine back then they were even smaller, just a tiny group of people. But at the same time, everybody gets saved. I mean, I can't get everybody in one church building to agree on something. Everybody in a town agrees Jesus is the Christ and gets saved. Well, that's a work of God, isn't it? That's a miracle greater than the healing. The healing was to point people to Jesus. That's why we see healing in the Bible. It's, it's not for our benefit that we, we get healed. It is for the glory of God. I read one commentator. I said I wasn't going to say this, but I read one commentator. I'm not sure I agree with him, but it made me think about it. He said, nowhere in the New Testament do you see where a saved person gets healed. Now, I, I would have some exceptions I'd like to talk to that guy about, and I'll never get that opportunity. I'll check it out in heaven, I guess. But, but because I think, well, maybe Peter's mother-in-law believed in Jesus. I don't know, and Jesus healed her. I, I don't know, maybe some others. But the point is, every time God heals, it is it brings about a salvation of someone. Every time Jesus heals, salvation is associated with it. It is something to show God's power. In fact, I love what Jesus said one time. He healed. You know, they they drop the paralytic in front of him, and he goes. Rise, he says, your sins are forgiven. And everybody around says, who does this guy think he is to forgive sins? And Jesus looks at him and says, let me ask you, what is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your bed and walk? Well, it was a rhetorical question because it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. I could look at Kathy and say, Kathy, have a million dollars. That was easy to say. But if she said, where am I going to get it? Are you going to give it to me? I'm like, no, I don't know. I just was saying stuff. You know, I can say your sins are forgiven. Okay, big deal. Do I have power to forgive sins? No, not at all. And that's why they were mad at Jesus. Jesus said, well, I'm going to ask a question. What's easier to say? You don't know whether I forgave sins or not. I just said it. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. I say to you, rise, take up your bed and walk. Bam, he got up. It was to show his power. And we get so excited about the visible miracle we sometimes miss, it's a visible miracle, but it's not as dramatic, the miracle of salvation. Now, I, I mentioned, you know, we, that, thank you so much. That last song, we were saying, redeemed. Redeemed. I, I said this this morning, uh, uh, Brother Bobby and I were talking about the sermon. And, and I said... Especially in our southern culture of church, and especially in my generation that has a church culture. I grew up in a church culture where society acknowledged the church. Society no longer acknowledges us. They don't give a flip about us anymore. Until you get a hold of that, you're not going to be a very good minister into society. They have a hunger and a need for spiritual reality. And they want to see it, but they don't consider that we have the answer necessarily. We've got to show them Jesus, right? Right? But I said this morning, and so in our culture, we take salvation for granted. And that is the most crowning thing that God has done for us. I, I, I saw a, a video one time where an atheist was debating a theologian. And he said, so you're telling me that the only way a person can go to heaven is in Christ. So if I'm a Buddhist or, or, or Jewish or anything else, that I, I can't go to heaven. He said, that's right. He said, is that fair? And the theologian said, no, it's not fair. And he said, see, I told you. And he said, no, it's not fair that you go to heaven. Because we all should be going to hell. And it's not fair on God that he saved anybody. You see, in our culture, we think everybody is good and needs to go to heaven. But the biblical reality is we are are all depraved and there's no limit to the depths of sin that we would sink. And that God saved us is unfair to God and a miracle in and of itself greater than any other miracle you're ever going to see. Healing a physical body, big deal. God could heal me of diabetes today. And somewhere in the next 50 years, I'm going to die anyway. But I'm not going to die because he's already saved me. I'm going to live forever. That's the miracle. And anytime time you see a physical healing is to point out the, the, the true miracle of salvation. The true miracle of what God is doing in a life. And that's why I know Peter did this right. Jesus heals you and people were saved because they looked at Jesus, not Peter. He didn't start, like I said, put a big old banner up there. Simon Peter Fisherman Healing Ministry. He did not. I I have ridden by those big churches with the preacher's name on the building. So and so's ministries. Well, secondly, God uses Peter to raise the dead. So many times we like to say, well, we know Jesus was God because he raised the dead. Well, so did Peter. Is he God? No. Be careful of that. Here's the deal. Jesus is an honest man, full of the Holy Spirit, who cannot lie. And because he's full of the Holy Spirit and would not lie, he claimed to be God. And we can trust that. It's not because he did miracles. Peter did miracles. Paul did miracles. They saw miracles happen. But it's all in Christ. Well, Peter, God uses Peter to raise the dead. Look, a godly woman has died. Joppa, like I said, is close by. There's a disciple named Tabitha. translated means door because she's full of Good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And they washed her later in the upper room. And they heard Peter was close, so they sent for Peter. Now, here's what I want you—I want to point out. Just like I pointed out earlier, Peter's not sitting in his office in Jerusalem. He's out traveling around. He comes to 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 Lydda, and and a miracle happens. So he's probably teaching all these new believers about who Christ is. And somebody comes running into town, going, Peter, 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 we've got a real problem over here in Joppa. One of the godless ladies in our group of believers has passed away. We, need, we want you to come. Now, it, they send for Peter. Please come to us without delay. What did they expect to happen? I don't know. I mean, I, I wish I knew what was going through their head. Did they think Peter never raised the dead before? Did they think Peter could? I, maybe. Maybe they said, hey, maybe Peter can do this. I, or did they just want him to come and comfort them? I don't know what the deal was here, and, and we we can't know, but it is interesting for me to think to me to think about that. But but Peter is not too busy to go. He didn't go. I'm sorry, God's given me a ministry here in Lydda, so I I can't come down there to Joppa, because I'm too busy here teaching these disciples. Somebody else has to come help you. No, he drops that and says, "I'll be back," and takes off. Or I don't know if he told me to be back or not, but he leaves. So many times we want to stay in a place where God's at work because it feels good and God wants us to go out. Sometimes we go out because we get disappointed in our expectations and so we leave when we ought to stay and let God work through us in those disappointments. Right? A lot of people leave church because I don't like the way they do that. Well, like Van Savner said, it doesn't hurt to change labels on an empty bottle. You'll think about that later, and you'll either attack me or laugh, one of the two. So anyway, Peter goes with him, and when he arrived, he goes into the upper room, and all the widows are standing there weeping and showing the tunics and other garments. And he follows an example Jesus did. Jesus was called to raise the dead, and he sent everybody out. They're all crying and screaming, oh, get out. I don't know if Jesus did that just so he wouldn't be distracted or he didn't want them to see it. But Peter follows that example. He sends them outside and notice, and he kneels down and prays. Peter doesn't go, well, you know what? <clears throat> We've seen some big miracles. I mean, they're carrying handkerchiefs away from me, just touching people with handkerchiefs that have been near me, and they, they want to get in my shadow. And, man, I just healed a paralytic. I can handle this. No, he goes in, and what does he do? He prays. He seeks God. God, what do you, what do you want here? Do you want me to go back out and say, yeah, you're right, she's dead? Or do you want me to try to do something? You know, I'm not sure I would have even prayed. I would have just said, oh, Lord, you know, God bless this family. But Peter goes in and he says, God, what do you want? And God says, obviously God said, raise her up. And so he prays and then he turns to the body and says, Tabitha arises. She opened her eyes, saw Peter sat up. And so he gave her his hand, and she got up. I think Peter might have been just as almost amazed as anybody else. But again, notice what happens. Then calling all the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Again, it's not many believed in Peter, many believed in the Lord. You see, just speaking broadly here, are we trying to make a name for Calvary, or are we trying to make a name for Jesus? See, you see my point? And I, and I thought if this was a real problem, I'd have said that differently. I don't think that's a real problem here, but it's a, 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 an attitude that we've got to be careful about as we go forward in God's will. Amen? God can use us to do amazing things, but the minute we take credit, man, he's, we serve a jealous God. And even though Oprah has problems with that, I don't. Let me give you the Bible, in case you don't know what I'm talking about, one time Oprah said, that's when she quit believing the Bible, when she read that God was a jealous God, and she said, how dare he be jealous? How dare you think that the God who created all things, owns all things, controls all things, wouldn't be jealous for his own glory, right? right, Let me give you the Bible in five words. I'm God, and you're not. Once you get that down, you got the rest, Okay. So Peter sends everybody out, and he invites Jesus in when he sends them all out. And God does a miracle, and boom, she gets raised from the dead. And many are saved again. We know that God's Spirit is working in and through us when many are saved. Salvation is a result of revival. It's not revival. See, we, we, we tend to think that when we see people getting saved, that's revival. No, people getting saved as a result of revival. Revival is when we get right in our hearts. Revival is when our attitudes and our mind gets right. Peter could have been disappointed. Wait, I thought I was going to be like Jesus and have all this power and this control. And there is a, 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 a religious group that believes Peter should have thought that way. But no. Peter knows that he is a servant. How does Peter know that? Because he messed up so many times. Even after he was in charge, Paul has to fix him here in, in, in a little bit. Even though the Acts doesn't record it, it's recorded in Galatians that Paul had to say, Peter, uh uh-uh, uh, dude, what are you doing, man? So Peter knows that he, he tends to He knows that he's not able. He knows he's not capable. So he depends on Christ. He is totally surrendered and resting. On Jesus, anytime God does something good for him, and many are saved. The last verse uh, is not really a part of the sermon, but I do want to point it out. He stayed in Joppa for many days with what Simon, a tanner. Now, why is it put that in? Well, I'll tell you why. Because a tanner had to work with dead animals a lot. So in other words, Peter stayed with the guy that was a religious outcast. You know all those really proper religious people called Pharisees? They would never go into a tanner's house. Because he's always working with dead animals. And you're just perpetually unclean and religious speak when that's what you do all the time. Peter lives in his house with him (laughs) for a little while anyway. Just showing once again Peter's getting it. And Peter is going to make a huge leap in the next chapter, and we'll come to that next time. But what can you do about some of this? How do we apply this to us? Well, first of all, step out of your normal routine to discover new opportunities. Peter's normal routine would have been to stay in Jerusalem and kind of try to manage what's going on. But instead, he goes out and starts making a tour. Look, we got spread out there. I need to go check on the sheep everywhere. So he's out doing that. I think we miss that tonight because Paul kind of, overshadows Peter in the rest of the book starting in chapter 13. And we kind of forget that God, the, the very important role that Peter played and that who Peter is in, in God's economy. And Peter is not so high and mighty that he thinks that everybody ought to bow to him. He's out serving other people. And so where are you in life? You need to discover new opportunities with the Lord. And so step out of your normal routine. You go in with your head down, go to work, you do your work, go home. Look up, look around. God's got something somewhere for you every day. And then step up when you see an opportunity. Step out of your routine and step up when you see an opportunity. So many many times we learn how to share our faith or we learn something, and we say, oh, Lord, give me an opportunity. And God says, you're looking in the wrong direction. I give you opportunity every day. There is always an opportunity there, always. I promise you. There's always an opportunity to step in and talk about Jesus. Because everyday ordinary things is where God exists and lives with us. And there will always be a chance to turn it into something that will glorify God. So don't pray for God to give you an opportunity. Pray for God to make you sensitive to the opportunities he's already given you. Say, God, make sure I get it when you show it to me. Because, listen, men don't get hints, right? We just had Valentine's Day Thursday, right? Or it's also called SAD, Single Awareness Day. All right. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Um, You know, and, and, and so if you've got a loved one, and if you're married, like, the woman knows what the husband wants, but the man don't have a clue. And then when you, when you fail, they say, well, I hinted, I t- don't hint, tell me. <laughs> I will never catch the hint, I promise. We're just dull, all right? We don't get it sometimes. So just say it, you know. My wife hates two things, being surprised and getting the wrong thing. I mean, she loves getting surprises, she loves getting the right thing. And you can't have both. Like, you got to tell me if you want the right thing, or I'm going to surprise you, but you're not going to be happy. So i got to keep the receipt so you can return it, right? Because she always gets it right with me, but I rarely, you know, it's just tough. And I'm kind of joking here, but, but, uh, but that is a reality. So, listen, God is always giving you an opportunity, but we just sometimes miss it. And so you got to ask God, make me not dull. Make me alert to when you give me that opportunity. And then step into the will of God. And there should be a comma there, sorry. We can fix that later. Depending on Jesus. It looks like step into the will of God depending on Jesus. No, step to the will of God, comma, always depending on Jesus. Don't do it in your own power, your own strength. Don't think you can because you can't. I'm telling you, the first step to victory is knowing that you can't do anything. And once you understand that and you go, okay, I'm totally surrendered, totally dependent on God, now God can use you. You're in the place where God can use you. And almost every hero in the Bible, God brought them to a place where they came to the end of themselves. We see it in Peter, we see it in Paul, we see it in Moses, we see it in David. All these men failed utterly and miserably, and after that, God used them. It is in failure that we learn what God really wants in of our life. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you had some dreams that were disappointed. You might be disappointed at Calvary, like, oh, but it's just not what I thought it would be. Well, listen, seek what God wants. Not what you wanted, not what you what your expectations were. But what did God want? And, and God may have engineered some, in fact, let me just guarantee, God has engineered your circumstances not to be perfect to make you look more like Jesus. If everything was easy, you would stay as you are. It is in the pressure cooker and it, it is in that pushing and that, that moving that we get formed into the image of Christ. Be not... Crest into the mold, conformed to this world, but be transformed, metamorphosized in Romans 12, 1 and 2. By the renewing of your mind in Christ. God wants to literally change us totally. We're just a worm crawling on a leaf. And then we turn into a butterfly, right? Just a little tadpole swimming in a pond and turns us into a frog, which stands for fully relying on God.